We're thankful, Lord, for your love. A love that we can't measure. A love that is so deep and so profound that we could never grasp the reality of it. We thank you for this love. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 says, Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you. This is Paul writing. Now, we're in a series in Ephesians, but I'm reading out of Corinthians because Paul wrote both books, and you need to get this verse. Paul says, Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you. Now, listen, brothers, that's each and every one of us. If you've believed in Jesus, you are a brother. You are a son and daughter. He is writing to you. He says, now, brothers, that's you, that's me. We wish to make known to you the grace of God. The grace of God. Paul said, if there's a message that you need to get today, is the grace of God. And I think that the Lord is going to do something powerful as we enter into this series because through this series, you will encounter unapologetically, powerfully, wonderfully overwhelming the grace of God. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to everyone in the church. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your grace. Because without it, Lord, we cannot stand. Without it, Lord, we cannot worship you. Without it, Lord, we have nothing. We thank you for Jesus. Because it's because of Jesus that we get to hold on to this grace, that we get to experience this love. We love you, Lord. And we're thankful for all you've done. We pray all of this trusting that you're going to speak to us today and use this series to change our lives. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together and give God, give God praise. You can have a seat. Wow, worship is, is just incredible. It's incredible to get in. Come on, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, today we start a new series in the book of Ephesians, and I'm nervous, y'all, like I'm really nervous because this book changed my life. This is known as one of the greatest books in the Bible, probably Paul's most talked about, preached on book ever. He wrote most of the New Testament, and this is the book that people talk about. I was thinking about the other day when I was on Netflix. I don't know if you ever get on Netflix. I know you do. Don't lie. I know you spend more time in Netflix than your Bible. It's all right. Um, I was in Netflix, and I thought back to the day. Anyone in here want to show their age? Do you remember when Netflix would mail you the DVD? Now, nah, all these young kids in here like, well, they mail you. I could just watch it on my phone. Nah, back in the day, they had to mail you the DVD. Do you remember that? I started thinking about those days and how hard they were. I felt like those moments where my mom used to tell me that she would walk miles to school with no shoes on. That's kind of how I have my Netflix mailed to me. I was thinking about those moments when I wanted to watch movies. And back in these days, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was in high school, we would have to go to Blockbuster. 
Come on, anybody know what it's like to go to Blockbuster on a Friday night? It's Friday. We got to go to Blockbuster. We got to rent some movies. We got to get some pop. Listen, to a poor kid, Blockbuster is Disneyland. I mean, I'm from the hood, and when we would go to Blockbuster, I mean, it was like we went to Disney World, Disneyland. We went, went to Astroworld. We could actually do something. It was an event when we would go. When we would go to Blockbuster, it was an incredible event. Blockbuster, you would go, and they would have all the movies there for you to select. Everything you could imagine. It was an incredible experience. And if they didn't have the movie, they would give you a pass to say, come back next time, and we'll, we'll have it for you. Did anybody in here know what it was like uh, back in the day when they didn't have your movie and you would show up on Tuesday. You'd show up on Tuesday because Tuesday's the day you would have to return the movie. Me and my dad would be there on Tuesday at 7 o'clock waiting by the bin where you would turn the movie back in because we wanted to get, we wanted to be the first one to get the movie. We used to love Blockbuster. We wanted to watch movies. Blockbuster was incredible. Just walking into that store was awesome. They'd have TVs everywhere. I remember the TVs, and they would always have, like, the newest movie playing. And if you didn't have any money, you'd just go sit there and watch the movie. <laughs> that may not be you, but that's how we did it. Every once in a while, we'd sit there and watch the movie because we ain't going to be able to afford this $2.99 to take it home. So my dad would just say, just sit here and watch it. We'll be here for a little bit, no worries. Every once in a while, just move one of the movies around and you'll be good. I remember one day, I'm not kidding, one day I walked in and I thought something was wrong because I could not see the movies. It was blurry. And I thought it was just one TV, but every single TV that I would go to, the images were blurry. And the movies were playing, and, and, and the, the sound was on throughout the whole blockbuster. And I, I was wondering why no one else noticed how blurry the screen was. And I, I finally walked up to the genius, because, you know, they have little movie geniuses that would, you'd go and ask them any question. What kind of movie do you want to look for? A rom-com that would give you suggestions. And I went up to the genius uh, behind the counter and I said, hey, something is wrong with your TVs, bro. Because when I, when I look at the TV, I can't, can't see what's being played. I think something's wrong with your connection. He said, no, there's nothing wrong with the connection. Those are just 3D TVs. Y'all remember 3D TVs? Some of y'all don't remember 3D TVs. They had, movie, they had movies that would be recorded in 3D, and you could buy a 3D TV and actually see the movie in 3D. I'm talking about you would watch Finding Nemo, and Nemo would swim right past you type stuff. I mean, it was incredible stuff. I had never seen a 3D TV or heard of a 3D movie, so I did not understand what was happening on the screen. And so they said, the thing is, you will not see the picture unless you put on the 3D glasses. You can't see it unless you put on these glasses. And I was like, well, let me, let me, let me, let me get in on that, man. Like, I want to know. I, wanna, I don't want to look terrible and be the only person that don't know what it's like to see in 3D. They gave me these 3D glasses, and I looked at the TV, and y'all, oh, I all over the place. A whole new world just opened up. I don't want to sing, but, I mean, I'll do it if I have to. I'm talking about the image was incredible. I was watching something that I didn't think was possible.
because I, I had the eyes now to see it. I had, the, I had the eyes now to see it and interpret it, and, and it made sense now. And I started thinking about the book of Ephesians. I started thinking about the book of Ephesians and, and the Bible in general. Because most of us, when we look at our Bible, it's blurry. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In our house church, we were talking about what are some of the most, I guess, difficult things about being a believer and things that you struggle with in life. The first thing, reading my Bible. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me when I read it. And maybe you've experienced that when you open up your Bible. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, a lot of words that, that you don't really understand what they mean. And, and I feel like opening up a whole new world to you by going through Ephesians. Because the book of Ephesians is that 3D glass experience. It's, it's, it's the kind of experience that when you experience it, you can never go back. Because when the Bible is revealed to you the way, the way Paul wants to reveal the Bible to you in these scriptures, it, it's going to take you to a different way of thinking and believing when it comes to the Lord and his goodness and his grace and what he thinks about you. Because most of us, we don't know what God thinks about us because we struggle with sin. We, we struggle with making mistakes, and, and no one in here is perfect. And so we struggle with these things that we fail at. And the book of Ephesians, when I went to seminary and my professor opened up the book of Ephesians to me, my world was changed. I, I'm trying to hype this book up because you don't need to miss a week of this book. It is six chapters only and it will change your life. Paul is writing emphatically to the church about who they are in Christ and what Jesus wants to do in them and through them and how they can exist in this world. And if we're honest, those are the two struggles that we have. Who am I? And does he love me? And am I forgiven? And am I saved? And how do I handle this world? How do I live in this world? The book of Ephesians answers that for us. The book of Ephesians reveals it to us in a way that's like me standing in that blockbuster, 3D glasses, and it was beautiful. So listen, I just want to prepare you. It's going to take some work. I love to preach. I love to get loud. I'm going to try to preach and get loud. But listen, this book, you need to, every word, every single word is important. So that's what we're going to do. Today we're going Ephesians chapter 1. Are you ready? Listen, I'm nervous. I'm nervous because this book means so much to you, and you don't even know it. You don't know how important it is until we open up these pages. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And Paul is given the freedom to write about whatever he wants. They just want a letter from him. They're not having complaints. They don't have problems yet. And they're saying, just write to us about this Jesus. So this is Paul's summary of who Jesus is. There's only one more book that's, I would say, more powerful than this, and that's Romans. 
but Romans is very intricate, and this is a, a more o big overview of major principles. Are you ready? I don't know if you're ready. Are you ready? Okay. Look at Paul. This is what he says. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I just want you to understand why that's already important, because we're seeing Paul write his name up front. But you know him as Paul. Most people know him as Saul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was the persecutor of the church. He murdered believers. He would chase them down and kill them. He persecuted the church. The Bible tells us that when Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 8, that Paul held the coats of every person that was doing it. He's a Pharisee. He knows the word. He is the person that Jesus came to stand up against, someone who had knowledge and power and thought they were righteous. And so these people would persecute the church. And, and Paul is saying, this is who I am. I am Paul. I am no longer Saul. Because when I met Jesus, everything changed. When I met Jesus, everything changed. He says, my name, my being, my identity is completely different now. You might have heard about who I was and what I've done and the things that I did to the people of God, but I am no longer that man because I met Jesus on a road. He blinded me and he changed my life. I am now Paul. I am now Paul. I'm no longer Saul. And he says, I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus. The one who I persecuted, the one who I hated, I am now his servant. Paul is saying there is something powerful that happens when you connect with Jesus. There is something so life-changing and overwhelming and self-changing that happens. The Bible says you are a new creation. The Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. This is what Paul declares when he's not apologizing for what he's done. He is fully embracing that Jesus has forgiven me. The things that I have done are wrong, but Jesus has given me something new. He's, I'm a new person. I am Paul. And this already gives us hope. It already gives us hope because Paul is saying if there's a chance for me, there's a, there's a chance for you. If he can change me, he can, he can change you. If he can deal with my mistakes, he can deal with yours. If, if he can erase my past, I was a murderer, he can, he can erase yours. That's what he feels. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's important. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Listen to that. By the will of God, meaning God wanted him. Do you understand that? By the will, God wanted Paul, the worst of the worst. God wants you. Let that resonate in your soul for just a second. He wants you, regardless of your past, regardless of your rebellion and your sin. He wants you by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful 
in Christ Jesus. Now, you have to, you have to see this. I, you need to bring a Bible. I'm just going to start telling you like this. Bring a Bible. You're going to learn how to underline and circle and make notes because this is so jam-packed with goodness. He says to the saints who are what? In Christ Jesus. This is a theological principle. He's saying all of you who believe in Jesus, there is a place that you are in. Where are you? In Christ Jesus. He says every single one of you who have believed in Jesus, who are faithful, you are in Jesus. This is a theological term called position. This is positional truth. Where are you in Christ? Jesus says abide in me and I will abide in you. Jesus is telling us from his own words that we need to be together so much so that it's like I'm in you and you are in me. And here Paul is, is giving us an overview of this book. He's saying each and every one of us, we have to wrestle with and accept the reality that we are in Jesus, in him. Why is this difficult for us to understand that we are in Christ? I'll tell you why. Because we sin every day. Because we make mistakes. Because the things that happen in between your two ears are things you don't want anyone to know about. And if we're honest, they make you doubt whether or not you're in Jesus. Paul is saying you need to hold on to this truth that you are in Christ. You are in him. This is, you ever seen those nesting dolls? Those Russian nesting dolls where you open it up and there's like five different dolls inside. That's the idea. Jesus is the big doll and all of us are the little dolls. When you see Jesus, what do you see? Every single one of us. When God sees Jesus, what does he see? Every single, this is imputed righteousness. This imputed righteousness is a theological term, meaning God injects you with righteousness, meaning you can't be right because you sin every day. So because of that, he's got to put you in Jesus so that you can have righteousness. This is deep, and I'm telling you, it will change your world when you can grasp it and hold on to it in your everyday living. When you can accept the fact that when you pray to God, he does not see a sinner. He does not see somebody that has gone far away. From, he sees his son because where are you? Where? In Christ. The shame that you have whenever you pray, the shame that you have whenever you present yourself to Jesus, you don't have to have it anymore. Because the reality is, is that you are in Christ. So when Jesus puts you in him through his death, burial, and resurrection, God now only sees Jesus. It says you are in Christ. Paul loved this statement. 51 times in his opening of his letters, he uses this statement. In Christ, in Christ, in, throughout this whole chapter, you will see in him, in Christ. Why? Because Paul wants us to get it through our heads where we're at. Because he knows that we struggle. 
without even getting a letter from the people of Ephesus, he knows that they struggle with believing that they're loved. He knows that they struggle with believing that they're saved. He knows that they struggle with believing that God forgives them. And listen, I know that you struggle with that. You struggle with believing that your love saved and forgiven. You are, you are just like these people, so this book is just right for you. You are in Christ Jesus. That is your position in Christ. Now listen, this is the next part of it. I, you have to get this. That is your position, but that's not your condition. Ooh, we're going to get deep. Positionally, you're in Christ. But where's Jesus? Heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. So if you're in Christ, with him, positionally, where are you? Say it again. Where? The right hand of God. That song we just sang said, you seat me in heavenly. You sing songs you have no idea what it's saying to you. It's from Ephesians. <laughs> it's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He rises, raises us up with Christ and seats us in heavenly places. Paul is reminding us where we are seated. You, you may not like where you're seated right now. The person you're sitting next to, if it's your spouse, don't say nothing. But listen, you are seated at the right hand of the Father because you are in Christ positionally, but conditionally, where are we on this earth? It is, it is the struggle that Paul wants us to wrestle with. The fact that you are positionally in Jesus, but conditionally dealing with this world every single day. The theologians call it the already not yet. The already but not yet. We are already seated but not yet there. Ooh, I'm just telling you, this is going to be, this is going to be, you got to get into house church because we're going to, in house church, we're going to be breaking this down even more. We are Seated in heavenly places, you are at the right hand of, we are one verse in. I was going to try to get through 23 verses today. Nope, not happening. You are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. There is praise and there is glory due to him because of where he seats us. We are in heavenly places. You are in Christ. This is our position. But the tension, write it down, will always be with our condition. It's position versus condition. Now look, I went to seminary to learn all of this, so I hope you write that down. Costs me a lot of money, but it's free to you. It's position and condition. So he goes through that life, that alone, we can sit there for 20, 30 minutes to stay there. But he says, I got to move forward. This is just my introduction. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this is what I offer you up front, grace and peace. 
Grace and peace, that's what you need to leave here with today. As soon as you get this letter, it's grace and it's peace. Why is this important? This is not, these are not just throwaway words. And it's unfortunate, but Christianity has made these words unimportant. These words have lost their meaning because we have dumbed them down with stickers on the back of our cars and T-shirts and, and mugs with grace and peace. We don't really understand the reality of grace. Paul says this is what you need to have. You need to understand and get a hold of grace. And I believe if there is one thing that you cannot afford to get wrong, one word in the Bible that you cannot risk misunderstanding, if there is a one truth specifically in this life that you cannot afford to miss, it's understanding the grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because grace is the very substance and essence of the truth of the gospel if you take away the grace of God from the gospel you strip the gospel of its lifeblood and there is nothing left worth preaching about nothing left worth believing in worth fighting for worth living for grace is important and the Bible says that he opens up with this grace. And why? Because grace, guys, is it's the reason we're free. Grace, it's the reason that we're saved. Grace is the reason that God sent his son. It is the reason that you can have hope for your future. It is, it is the reason that you can say God is on my side. Grace is the reason that you can have an experience with, with hope even though you are in the darkest night and you can have hope that it will pass and that the sun will rise. It's the reason that you're alive today and you're not dead and in jail or locked up somewhere grace is the reason and that's why Paul opens up with grace because he wants us to understand grace grace to you grace to me if you would let the grace of God be more than just words on paper or a sermon that you hear, if grace, uh, if you would allow grace, if you would allow it to be more than just some theological truth or a theory, if you would allow it to, to, to consume your life and to spill out into your everyday, grace not only changes you, but then it will affect the people around you. Grace is a transformer in our lives it can change you that's why paul said i want to make known to you the grace of our god acts 20 24 paul says this my life is worth nothing to me unless i use it for finishing the work given to me by the lord jesus paul says my life this is i have one thing i got to do i have one thing that i need to do and this is it i need to finish the work that jesus gave me what is this work that Jesus gave him? He says, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul said, this is the only job description I need to fulfill. Telling others about the grace of God. That is the gospel. That is the word that we have to grab a hold of and never let go of. Paul said, it's necessary for your life. 
Paul was struggling in the book of 2 Corinthians, and he was praying to the Lord. He had this physical ailment, and he was begging God to take it away. And the Bible says that God responded to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. You may not know it, but grace is the remedy that you're looking for. Grace is the answer to the struggles that you have, even physical ones. He says, my grace is sufficient, meaning my grace is enough. And if you would just get a hold of this grace, it would change your life. Paul says, grace to you and to me. What is grace? Grace is the undeserved favor, blessing, and goodness on your life that only comes because God has grace. Grace is undeserved favor, blessing, and goodness that only comes because God is gracious. He says, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Why is peace important? Because the Bible says you and me, because of our sin, we're at odds with God. The Bible says because of our sin, the, there is a wedge between us. And so he says because of Jesus and this grace, we now have peace. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, justification is the moment that you believe in Jesus. When did you believe in Jesus? Ten years old. Thirteen years old. Twenty-seven. Thirty-eight. Doesn't matter. The moment you did, you were justified. Forgiven completely. Past sins and future sins. Now look, when I was growing up, that was difficult for me to believe. Because I thought Jesus only forgave me for the sins that I, that I committed before I believed in him. Anyone ever felt that way? There's grace enough to save me, but is there grace enough to keep me? To keep me saved. Were you there when Jesus died? How many sins did you commit before the crucifixion? How many sins did you commit before the resurrection? Zero, because all of your sins were what? In the future. The forgiveness of Jesus covers us into our future, always has. Always has. Someone lied to you and lied to me and told us that our sins are only forgiven every time we confess. Untrue. Justification is a legal term in the Bible where God is in heaven with a javelin and he says not guilty. Now to some of y'all who ain't been to jail, that, that doesn't really matter to you. But if you've ever been locked up, <laughs> me, you wanna hear that judge says, not guilty, go ahead. 
Justification is God's way of cleaning us from our sins, past, present, and future. And Paul says in Romans, therefore, since you, English, here we go, we're going to learn some English. Since you have been justified. Is that present tense, past tense, or future tense? Oh, I'm terrible at English, but I'm going to go ahead and ask y'all. Since you have been, English teachers in here, what? It's past tense. Paul is writing to people, and he says, your justification is not something that happens in the future. Your justification is not something that you have yet to achieve. For those of you who have come from a theological background where they tell you, you got to work, you got to do good, you got to go to church. Now, look, you need to go to church, but it doesn't save you. You, gotta, you should do good, but that doesn't save you. He says, for you have been justified. And that moment that you believed, Paul says, you were at 10 years old. At camp, you were justified. Every sin you ever committed after that, gone. Never to be seen or heard of again. The Bible tells us that God takes all of our sins and puts it at the bottom of the ocean. The Bible says that as far as the east is to the west, that's how far he throws away our sins. The moment you were justified, Paul says, therefore, since you have been justified, how? We want to write this verse down. Romans 5.1. How were you justified? Through faith. Oh, all you do-gooders in here don't like that. Because you can't do anything to get justification other than believing in Jesus. Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, he says, now that we've already done that, the moment you believed in Jesus, the moment you trusted him as your Savior, you were justified when you believed. How do you believe? Internally. This is not confession. This is none of that. It is I believe. When you believed through faith, the Bible says this happens. We now have peace with God. For all of you who think that God hates you. For all of you who believe that he cannot be happy with you because of the level of your mistakes. You've been justified. And so you're at peace. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I could stop there. I probably should. But I don't know that we truly understand the severity of this. Grace and how powerful it is. The fact that you don't have to do anything to prove to God that you deserve to be saved. You know, I saw my parents, they love, they're weird. They watch these shows on the History Channel, The History of Food. Look, okay, I see some other weird people who are like, yeah, that's my dad, I watch it all the time. The History of Food. This, this, this show on the History Channel will show you how M&Ms were made, how frozen food was created. What, what, Mc, the Big Mac and the war between Burger King and McDonald's. 
My parents love this show. Every time we go over, we are forced to watch it. And <laughs> listen, sometimes it gets kind of interesting. There was this story once that I was watching, and it blew me away because I heard my professor talk about it in seminary. I didn't think it was real until I saw it on the History Channel. It's when they invented instant cake mix. There was a, a, a company, I don't remember the name, they, they created instant cake mix, and they called it, you know, the best cake mix ever, and there's nothing to do. All you have to do is mix water. That's it. It was revolutionary in that you didn't have to get flour and sugar and do all of it and get the baking soda and, and then get the eggs and the oil and, and, then, and then all the flavoring and the vanilla. No, no, no. All you got to do is pour out this powder Add some water and, sh and shake that thing. Do you know that no one bought it? No one was buying it. And they were perplexed. Why aren't they buying this? It's so easy. It's so easy to make. Why is this so difficult? And, and they talked to these, these stay-at-home moms. And why is it that y'all aren't buying this cake mix? It's so easy to use. He said, it's too easy. I want to feel like I'm doing something, they would say. I want to feel like I did something to accomplish this cake. I've, all my life, I've been conditioned to measuring and pouring and mixing and being proud for the, the creation like uh, Tom Hanks on, on, um, on, what is it called? Castaway, I've made fire. Like, that's exactly... That's exactly what they, they were saying. We don't really know that we want to do something that requires so little. So the people knew that they had something revolutionary and something good, and they said, what do we do about this? What do we do? One smart person said, why don't we just make it so that they have to put at least one egg in it? Let's take the, 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 the egg that we placed in it, the dried egg, and let's just tell them that they crack one egg, add water, you're good to go. And let's see what happens. They did it, and guess what? It sold like crazy. It sold like crazy. You want to know why? Because it's so hard for us to believe that there's little to do. It's so hard for us to believe that I really don't have to do anything, that it's all been taken care of, and that there's little effort on my end. It's so difficult to believe that. And so they said, just put an egg, I guess, just put an egg. To satisfy our need to do something, to work and to add to and to develop and to be a part of so that we can be proud. No. That's not how the gospel works, y'all. I just want to let you know. That's why we have struggled to accept this concept that the grace of God does everything for us. We don't have to add an egg. We don't have to add good works. We don't have to add obedience. We don't have to add any of that. The Bible says you believe and you are saved, and it's so difficult to, to believe in. It's so hard to comprehend because we want to work. 
We want to get approval from God, and we want to show up and say, look what I did. And he says, no, 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 we're not doing that, because it ain't about you, and it ain't about me. It's about Jesus. And so because of that, through grace, it's really simple. Now, I know some of your parents are like, gosh, I can't use God to scare my kids anymore. <laughs> oh, tell me, I had, that was how I was raised. God's watching. I may not see you, my mom would say, but Jesus knows. And my whole life, I was afraid that one day I was going to stand in front of people in this huge line, in front of a big movie screen, and all of the things that Jesus saw was going to be on a screen. And all of the people with my last name were going to witness it. Don't lie, you felt that way too. You're afraid of that day when Jesus comes because you don't know what he's going to say. You don't even want to believe. You don't want to hear the fact that he's coming because you're afraid that he's going to look at you and say, depart from me for I don't know you. Because of the grace of God, you don't have any worries. Any. Any worries. Paul says, grace, if you just get a hold of it, you'll then have peace. Peace. I'm struggling right now because I want to, I'm like, did I really just do two verses and it's time to go? But if I, I, I can't go into this next stuff yet, at least I don't feel like I can. Because I think some of you just, that right there, just, you have peace with God. You have peace with God. And it's through the grace of Jesus. Dan, come on up here. We're, we're going to end because I, I, you cannot miss these truths. You cannot miss it. These are the things that, in a simple opener to his book, Paul is saying you need to grab these things and never let them go. Quit adding eggs to what God has already made so simple. If we're honest, you and me, that's what we fill our life with and trying to please God and find ourselves approved by him and we do things because we want to make him happy and listen I'm just going to tell you this is I remember when I learned this concept and it completely made sense to me now what he did for me the people that I would talk to about it they were scared they're like well does that mean we could just do whatever does that mean we can just make mistakes over and over again and since he's done it all, hard truth right now. Here it is. Yeah. I mean, if you've never heard a pastor say that, 
But if he ever says that it's Jesus plus good works, then he's cracking eggs in the instant mix that God has created for us. If you've ever heard a pastor tell you that you have believed in Jesus, but now you must do these things, he is adding oil and eggs and sugar to what Jesus has already accomplished. And we have to be set free of that. Is there a responsibility from his people to not sin anymore? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that. This whole book deals with that. But let me, let me give you the, the way you can understand that. Obedience should never come because you're afraid. Obedience should come because you love him. It's not a have-to life. I have to do this. I have to go to church, and I have to not watch rated R movies, and I have to not. It's, I want to. If you have a spouse, I bet they want you to live a want-to life and not a have-to life. Where you do things for them, not because you have to, and okay, I'll take out the trash, and whatever, I'll make dinner, no big deal, and whatever, I guess I'll do this, and I guess I'll do the laundry, and I guess I'll, why? Because you feel like you have to. What do y'all say, ladies? I don't want you to have to do it, I want you to want to do it. You know, that's what God wants. He wants your obedience, not because you have to, but because you're thankful that he's done everything. That he's accomplished everything for you on the cross. Because he's left it so easy for you that you can't help but love him. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll do my will. Bombshell for all of you. You don't have to love Jesus to be saved. Show me in the Bible where it says that you do. It doesn't. It only says believe. You love Jesus as a catalyst, a springboard into obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say because you love me. Your love doesn't get you salvation. Your love doesn't get you relationship. That's already a positional thing that you get when you believe. Your love gets you intimacy. I need you to get that term in your prefrontal cortex. Your love, your obedience creates and generates intimacy. Y'all know what intimacy is. You can have friends. But who are your best friends? Who are the people who you love dearly? It's different. It's different. The reality is, is that that's what we have to wrestle through in this book. Letting go of these old belief systems that we, we truly think are how we get saved or how we walk with Jesus or what it takes for us to get us heaven, what, what it takes. Justification 
happens when you believe. Everything else is because you love Jesus. And I hope to God by the end of this series, you love Jesus deeply. Because you can't help but be grateful for all that he's done for you. How easy he made it. And that we would become an obedient church that loves and follows him and does what he says because we love him. Now, for all of you in here who have been wrestling with the reality of your sin and your struggle and you felt so far away from him because you feel like he can't love me because of what I've done. Hope this encourages you that the grace of God is overwhelmingly beautiful, changes you, saves you. The Bible says in Galatians, we receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace like a wave, grace is after us. Like a wave, an unending, unrelenting wave, the grace of God crashes into us, reminding us daily that there is nothing you can do. There's nothing you could fail at that is stronger and more powerful and more relentless than the grace of God. Paul says, grace and peace to you. Those of you who are in Christ. I hope that it encourages you today. I hope that you don't miss a single week in this series. Because I promise you it's going to be life changing. It's going to be life changing. Come on, put your hands together. Just put your hands together. If not, I'll keep preaching and we need to get you out.